welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Well, good morning, all you hearty Minnesotans. We made it. <laughs> uh, thank you for weathering the storm this morning. And I'm not sure what it's like outside right now, but you're here. You made it. We're glad you're here. We're glad to be together with you all. Uh, before we continue singing together this morning, I'm going to read aloud uh, the poem that you should have received when you walked in. It's on a sheet of paper. It's called On the Pulse of Morning. And uh, the reason that I chose uh, to read this this morning, uh, number one, we're trying to just incorporate some more diverse voices into our gatherings to kind of open our eyes a little bit wider. And um, I chose this one because I think it offers for us this morning equal words of hope and of challenge, which is something that I think we all need um, at this moment in time, especially me. So um, I would love it if you would just kind of settle in. Uh, it's a rather long poem. It's front and back. So be prepared for that. And maybe just try to connect even with your body, like take some deep breaths so that as I'm reading these images, they can kind of sink in and do the work that metaphor is meant to do. Um, so I'm going to read it for us this morning, and then we're going to sing together. This is by what I think is uh, one of the most notable poets of our, of our day, and uh, her name's Maya Angelou. This is called On the Pulse of Morning. A rock, a river, a tree. Host to species long since departed, Mark the mastodon, the dinosaur who left dried tokens of their sojourn here. On our planet floor, any broad alarm of their hastening doom is lost in the gloom of dust and ages. But today, the rock cries out to us clearly, forcefully. Come, you may stand upon my back and face your destined destiny. But seek no haven in my shadow. I will give you no hiding place down here. You created only a little lower than the angels have crouched too long in the bruising darkness. Have lain too long, face down in ignorance, your mouths spilling words. Armed for slaughter, the, the rock cries out to us today. You may stand upon me, but do not hide your face. Across the wall of the world, a river sings a beautiful song. It says, come, rest here by my side. Each of you a bordered country, delicate and strangely made proud, yet thrusting perpetually under siege. Your armed struggles for profit have left collars of waste upon my shore, currents of debris upon my breast. Yet today I call you to my riverside, if you will study war no more. Come, clad in peace, and I will sing the songs the Creator gave to me when I and the tree and the rock were one. Before cynicism was a bloody sear across your brow. And when you yet knew you still knew nothing, the river sang and sings on. There is a true yearning to respond to the singing river and the wise rock. So say the Asian, the Hispanic, the Jew, the African, the Native American, the Sioux, the Catholic, the Muslim, the French, the Greek, 
The Irish, the rabbi, the priest, the Sikh, the gay, the straight, the preacher, the privileged, the homeless, the teacher. They hear, they all hear the speaking of the tree. They hear the first and last of every tree. Speak to humankind today. Come to me here beside my river. Plant yourself beside the river. Each of you, descendant of some past on traveler, has been paid for. You who gave me my first name, you, Pawnee, Apache, Seneca, you, Cherokee Nation, who rested with me, then forced on bloody feet, left me to the employment of other seekers, desperate for gain, starving for gold. You, the Turk, the Arab, the Swede, the German, the Eskimo, the Scot, the Italian, the Hungarian, the Pole, you, the Ashanti, the Yoruba, the crew, bought, sold, stolen, arriving on a nightmare, praying for a dream. Here, root yourselves beside me. I am that tree planted by the river which will not be moved. I the rock, I the river, and I the tree. I am yours, your passages have been paid. Lift up your faces, you have a piercing need for this bright morning dawning for you. History, despite its wrenching pain, cannot be unlived, but if faced with courage, need not be lived again. Lift up your eyes upon this day breaking for you. Give birth again to the dream. Women, children, men, take it into the palms of your hands, mold it into the shape of your most private need, sculpt it into the image of your most public self. Lift up your hearts. Each new hour holds new chances for a new beginning. Do not be wedded forever to fear, yoked eternally to brutishness. The horizon leans forward, offering you space to place new steps of change. Here on the pulse of this fine day, you may have the courage to look up and out and upon me, the rock, the river, the tree, your country, no less to Midas and the Mandicant, no less to you now than the Mastodon then. Here on the pulse of this new day, you may have the grace to look up and out and into your sister's eyes, into your brother's face, your country, and say simply, very simply, with hope, good morning. Okie dokie, if you all want to make your way back to your seats, if you can find a Bible, please do. We're in Galatians chapter 4. It is officially the fifth Sunday in the season of Epiphany. Um, I said this first hour, I think it's, it's worth repeating. How... I don't know if you guys realize, but like the quality of musicians and the depth of talent in the people that serve on a Sunday morning up here is like second to none. They're so amazing, so good. Most churches with that good of music pay all the musicians. And like nine times out of 10, these are all people who call this place home. So it is just so, if, if for nobody else, I'm so grateful because I just like, I'm free here to, to be led by you all. So thank you so much. Um, and happy Oscar Sunday, and uh, I think that's all there really is to say about what's happening in the world. So, yeah, let's, um, <laughs> there's a lot to say about what's happening in the world, but um, we're going to just talk about Galatians today. How about that? So if you can, I'll invite you to stand. We're going to read a good portion of chapter 4, so buckle up. Uh, we'll start in verse 1, and then we'll read a section, and we'll skip down to the end of the chapter. So this is Paul starting in verse 1 of chapter 4. He says this, 
What I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery, under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the time set had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are a child, God has made you also an heir. Skip to verse 21. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of a divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The woman represents two covenants, or the women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child, shout for joy and cry aloud, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than, than of her who has, no hus- or has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of the promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Verse 1 of chapter 5, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Pray with me. God, we thank you for this day, for the snow, for the opportunity to gather as your people. Thank you for this word and for the resurrected Christ, alive and well in the world, which is leading us and guiding us. So Holy Spirit, um, speak to us, um, challenge us, invite us to more and deeper uh, into who you are, I pray. In the strong name of Christ and by the power of the Spirit and all God's people said, amen, amen. You may be seated. That's a pretty easy verse to understand, right? (laughs) What the heck? You have Jews and Gentiles, you've got heirs and sons, slaves and free people, you got Isaac and Ishmael, Sarah and Hagar, Jews, Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, everybody's running around on the field banging into each other. It's a bit like if you watch a rugby game in the rain, like the longer they play, the more muddy the field gets and the less you can determine who's on what side and what direction they're going. That's kind of how I felt all week prepping for this message. So I'm really excited to be with you. I feel, I feel that I have a real winner this morning. Um, in all seriousness, this is a very tricky passage, and it gets taken a whole bunch of different ways, right? Somebody came up to me afterwards, and they're like, I thought you were going to go like pro-Israel, and this is the reason why. To be clear, everyone take a deep breath. That's not where we're going, and I don't think that's what this means. So there you go. You can, you can be, you, uh, whatever fear you might have, let me assuage it for you. Um, there's another part that I before, I, before I jump in, here's what I want to do this morning. We're going to try to like just pause for a second, remember why Paul's writing this letter and who he's writing to. We're going to help define some of the key terms that Paul is using, some of the dichotomies that he's setting up as sort of like foils or it's this or that. 
And then I want to try to offer one question this morning, which I think is, in, is congruent with the text, okay? Before I do that, I want to just note, and I think it's important that we do, that there's a whole lot of talk about slavery in this passage, and seeing as it is Black History Month, it would be, I would be remiss to not at least mention something about this passage. And, and what I want to mention is, I don't know if you know this or not, but there is such a thing as a, it's called the Slave Bible. Did you know that this exists in the world? In the 1800s, a English, a British publishing company, um, published a Bible that was a redacted version of the Bible that they would, it, it was essentially called the Slave Bible for the conversion of slaves in the West Indies. And if there are, there are 1,189 chapters in the Bible you hold in your hands, and in the Slave Bible there were 232. So basically, the publishers took out any and all the passages that had anything to do with the emancipation or the exodus of God's people. Any passage that had anything to do with slavery or the idea that God might not be that cool with it was taken out of the Bible, and then that Bible was given to the slaves in the West Indies and in a number of other places. It wasn't uh, widely produced or replicated, but uh, it's, it's actually on, on display at Fisk University in a museum right now. There are three copies that we know of, of the slave Bible. I say all that to say the entire book of Galatians was not in the slave Bible. Do you remember the passage we studied last week? There does not exist Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. Yeah, we're going to do away with that one. Um, and I want to I just highlight that because it's important for us to be thinking about things like that, like how, what is this book and how has it been used? Who, have, who are the people that have benefited from it and how have we benefited from it? Right? These are all on the table as we read, especially a passage like this one, which uses the word and the idea of freedom and slavery so often. So I don't think that's really what Paul was getting at when he was writing this passage, but I, I wanted... As I really dug into this, and I was like, man, Paul's going this way, but I can't not say anything about that. So that's what I want to say about that, okay? Now, as we get into this passage, again, we're going to do a little background. What is Paul talking about? Who's he talking to? What are the key terms? And then we'll see if we can make sense of the players on the field. Does that sound good? Okay. Are you ready? Here we go. A um, couple of background pieces that, that should be reviewed, but if you are new with us, the gospel is the good news. That's Greek, euangelion, and it means good news. And for Paul, the good news is that God in Christ, uh, which is being preached to the Gentiles, is that God in Christ has come and has led and is leading a new exodus of sorts from slavery to freedom, from uh, uh, being in bondage to emancipation. And that good news has, is essentially that Christ has lived, died, and is resurrected. And now, by faith, or by the faithfulness of Christ, we are sons and daughters of the divine. We are inheritors or heirs of a promise. And that promise, that inheritance, is communion with God. Union with God, as the mystics would say. That we are in right relationship, justified with God and with each other, even in our own selves and with the world that we live in. That's the inheritance. That's where it's headed, all right? That's the promise. And the good news is that in Christ, that is possible and made possible. So Paul is preaching this message to the Gentiles in Galatia. Are we clear so far? Okay, we're just getting cranked up, people. Now, there are also, in the background, the Judaizers. 
You should know if you've been here. These are ethnic and religious Jews. These are folks who understood participation in God's family as particularly and strictly adherence to Torah, right? Ethnic and religious Jews, so kosher, circumcision, dietary laws, festivals, attending temple, all of these things, that's what they meant, or that's how they understood the participation in God's family. And so therefore, they were asking these Gentile Christians to do those things and to participate in those things, to eat eat kosher, to be circumcised, to celebrate the festivals. This is one of the dichotomies that Paul is working with in Galatians. Gospel and law. The idea that gospel is this new covenant, this new thing that God is doing in Jesus by faith and by the faithfulness of Christ, that there is a new thing happening. So that's gospel. And then law. This idea that adhering to Torah and that which the Jewish people have been doing for generations and generations. Law and gospel. Now here's the key for Paul. Paul says and believes that the law cannot and will not bring justification and righteousness. Justification and righteousness are Paul's fancy ways of saying being in right relationship with God. Adherence to the law cannot and will not bring about justification and righteousness. It just doesn't do that. Here's one author, and he's he's quoting um, essentially what Paul believes Torah and law did do, which it had a function, don't get me wrong, it's not the enemy, It had a function, but it doesn't bring justification and righteousness. Here's what it does. The Mosaic law for Israel, therefore, or was for Israel, therefore, not only the standard by which righteousness was defined and sin denounced, it was also the system by which the lives of God's people were regulated. So while it didn't bring about about righteousness, it did serve as a condemnatory function as the revelatory standard of God, thereby bringing about an act of repentance And then secondly, it served as a a custodial function as a religious system instituted by God until Christ should come, right? Thereby supervising the lives of God's people as they responded by faith to divine mercy. So the law functioned in two ways. It was one, it was this thing that produced in Israel a, a, a spirit of repentance which brought them to temple where they offered sacrifice. Yes and good, always kept them in communication with the divine, and it also served as a guide rail, a sort of guardrail to keep them on the straight and narrow, as it were. Think of an elementary school teacher with a, you know, a ruler smacking you on the, the wrist. Don't do that, but do this. So it served those two functions, Paul says. This is why in chapter 3, he says this, before the coming of this faith, this new covenant in Christ, we the Jews were held under custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. So, you have Jews, you have Gentiles. You have law, you have gospel. These are all things in the background in Galatians. Are we tracking? Still, okay? We're all on the same page. Good. Now, let's tackle these two sections that we read this morning, one at a time. Verses 1 to 7, they're saying similar things, but different in some ways. So let's do the first one first. The question Paul is answering in chapter 4, when he starts out, is who is enslaved and who is free? And how does freedom come about, and how does slavery come about? He begins in chapter 4 by making this assertion, and he's talking about an heir or the inheritor of something, as sort of an idea, a metaphor. He's essentially saying that the Uh, So long as the heir or the inheritor of something is underage, he functions and is no different than a slave in the household. 
By that, he means, even though someday that person will inherit the estate, while he's under age, he's treated no differently as a slave. His freedom is limited, and someone or something is functioning as an overseer. That's a metaphor Paul's using, right? So while the person is under age, he's subject to the guardians that are over, or the custodians or trustees, that the master of the house has placed over them until they come of age, okay? So essentially he's saying if somebody uh, is, is fit to inherit something, and they are under age, often they would have some kind of overseer, trustee, custodian that would function until they became of age, where they then would sort of stand up as an adult into the full inheritance that they were promised. Tracking? Now here, get this. See the connection Paul makes. In chapter 3, he's called Torah, the Mosaic law, the custodian, the trustee, the overseer. The same Israel who's heir to the promise, right, to be the people of God, who are the rightful inheritors as sons and daughters of God, but who are underage for a time, and so long as they're underage and function under the power and the authority of the law, they don't come of age as adults to be full benefactors of the heir that is promised. Okay? <laughs> but see what Paul did there. He equates law and Torah with the guardian and custodian appointed by the father that in effect keeps the rightful heir of the estate in the position of a slave who's not free. But good news, verse 4, Paul says, good news. At a certain time, God the father sent his son born of a woman, born under the law to set free those who were under the law. This is why Paul opens with chapter 5. He says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So, let me see if I can make this make sense. The Jews who are trying to live under the law, Paul is essentially saying, insofar as you keep trying to live under the law, you are in effect acting as if you are underage, that you are not mature, and the law continues to be this supervisor, this overseer, and you are not standing up into the full benefit, the full benefit of your inheritance as the people of God, which is now revealed in Christ. So that's why he says, if, if you keep doing this law thing, then Christ died for nothing, because you're still acting as if you're a child. So the Jews who are doing this, and then they're telling the Gentiles also that they have to live under the law. None of you are free. This is Paul's point. You're not free. In fact, you're enslaved. N.T. Wright, who's one of my favorites, tries to make a bit more sense of this, and he says this about the Galatian Gentiles and Jews. He says, Paul's aim throughout the throughout the book, is to make the Galatians themselves, of course, Gentile Christians, realize that their pilgrimage from paganism to Christianity is matched stride for stride by the Jewish pilgrimage of young child under the law into Christian faith, right? Of course, there are differences, but essentially what he's saying is the routes that they've taken are different, but the destination is the same. Imagine, if you will, a party of epic proportion, there is enough wine and food for everybody. There's dessert. There's cocktails. There's N.A. drinks. Everybody's happy, right? There's enough for all. And one group of people hops on their, their bikes, and they start riding to get to the party. And they ride for miles and miles and miles and miles. And they are like pedaling, 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 right? They're thankful for all the bike lanes along the way. Thank you, Portland and Minneapolis. They've ridden their bikes and they get to the party and they arrive at the party and they find out that a whole nother group of people have taken public transport. And they are like, oh, no way! 
This cannot be happening. We biked the whole way to get to this party, and you all took the bus? You can't do that. In order to get in the party, you have to actually go back to the beginning, get on a bike, and ride it here like we did. You see what he's doing. Paul's saying, listen, Jews and Gentiles, the party is the same. It's the same destination where God, who effectively wants to make a multi-ethnic family of, of, of people of faith in the world, the destination's the same, the food's the same, everybody gets all, it's all access, but how you got there may be different. And to those of you who rode your bikes, thank you, we're grateful. You're probably in better shape than the rest of us, but you can't tell the people who got there by bus that they have to go back. It's just not how it's working. That was the best illustration I could come up with to try to make sense of this really confusing situation, right? I think that's pretty good. Another way to think about this is Exodus and New Exodus, right? For the Jews, the whole story of the Exodus is all they know, right? That God calls Moses to lead Israel out of slavery, out of Egypt, into freedom, into the promised land. And after this long period of time, the text says that when, when the time was right, God called Moses and he brought, went, to, went to Pharaoh, let my people go, right? And then freedom was secured by the Passover and the, 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 slaying, the sacrificing of lambs and the firstborns in Egypt. And freedom is secured through Passover. And then 40 days after Passover, out in the wilderness at Sinai, the Israelites get Torah to lead and guide them through into the promised land. Now, that's stained glass, right? Imagine, I looked over here earlier, I was like, no, we're not doing that. Imagine that, like, that story is, like, in stained glass, and it's beautiful, and there it is, and it's the story of Israel. It's the story every Jew knows. Now, hear what Paul is saying as he sees through this lens, but starts to add a little bit more color. In one of his most daring moves yet, Paul suggests that the Jewish law itself has become the very thing that is preventing the moment that God longs to do for the world. Which is to open the doors wide, to let the people who rode the bus into the party. To make a multi-ethnic family of God where no one is left out, no one is left behind. So this is verses 1 to 7. This is what Paul is trying to do. Now what on earth does that have to do with Sarah and Hagar, Isaac and Ishmael? Good question, Micah. Briefly, let me see if I can explain this to you. It seems clear enough from like deductive reasoning that this passage shows up out of nowhere. Why would it show up out of nowhere in Paul's letter to the Galatians? Unless the Judaizers are using this story to tell the Gentiles that they're not in the family of God. Ah, now we're cooking, right? So I'm deducing, and many others would as well, that this story shows up because this is the exact story that the Judaizers are telling the Gentiles. They're saying, listen, if you want to be people of the promise, if you want to be in the family, then you got to do kosher, you got to do dietary, you got to do this, that, the other thing. If you want to be people of Sarah, not people of Hagar, if you want to be free and not enslaved, then you got to do it this way. And Paul flips the whole script. Right? It's like a sucker punch. Have you ever watched boxing? Do you remember Rocky? When he was fighting the Russian guy, Ivan Drago? The whole couple, like, ten rounds, he's just, like, taking it. He's just getting pounded, beaten. And the, guy, the whole crowd thinks, like, this thing's over. It's not going to happen. And then all of a sudden, Rocky shows up, and he just starts pounding this guy, right? He sucker punches him. That's what Paul does with this story. He's like, you all, you're telling this story, and you mean it this way. But actually, we're going to flip the whole script. Why? Because there's not just one covenant, there's two covenants. 
And it is not what you expected. My youngest daughter, when she was little, she would say that often. One day at, at dinner, she stands up on her table, on her chair, and she's like, this is not what I expected. <laughs> Paul's like, it's not what you expected, people. See, the Judaizers, here's how, here's how they would have understood Israel and its story. If you could put that slide up there for me. It's got to go, it starts with Abraham. Father Abraham has many sons, many sons. I am one of them. Er, Sab- Abraham and Era. <laughs> Get that? Abraham and Sarah, slow down, Micah. Take a drink. You're too excited. Abraham and Sarah, the free woman, right? And the blessing comes through them. That blessing is Isaac, not Ishmael, because Ishmael is the son of Hagar, who becomes the father of the Arab nation, who are the Gentiles. Tracking? That goes straight to Moses, people. Straight to Moses, out of Egypt, into the Exodus. Where to? Sinai, where we get the law, Torah. And that, my friends, Torah, law, Sinai, the headquarters of it is Jerusalem, the city, the, the city on a hill. So as a Jew, that's the progression. That's what you think has happened. And Paul's like, actually, it's exactly the opposite. Here's why. Rocky illustration, done. Okay. He says, you Judaizers, you think your adherence to Torah and the law and the temple in Jerusalem make you children of Sarah, the free woman, and the children of the promise, but the opposite is true. Your adherence to Torah, given 40 days after Exodus, by your adherence to Torah and your attempt to do it, you are children of Hagar, the slave woman, and you are not free. You think you are. You think that's going to lead to freedom. You think that's going to bring life, but actually, it's bringing death. The other covenant is a new covenant in Christ. And the giving of God's spirit 40 days after resurrection, whose home is now the heavenly Jerusalem, which Revelation talks about, and those who receive this by faith are free. And then in verse 28, Paul basically says, to all who are listening, if you catch this, he says, uh, now you, brothers and sisters, he's back to the Galatians. This is why this chapter is so confusing. He goes back and forth. Sometimes he's addressing the Jews, sometimes the Gentiles. Now he's the Gentiles. You brothers and sisters, like Isaac, you are children of the promise. At the time when the son was born according to the flesh, uh, that persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. So basically, Hagar's son persecuted the, the, the son born of the spirit, and now Paul is saying that thing is happening again, but the people who think they're Sarah are actually Hagar, and the people they're calling Hagar are actually Sarah. Oh, mic drop. Theological mic drop for Paul. <laughs> so confusing, so confusing. Maybe this will help, um, right? Again, at the top, Paul's saying Torah and law and observance and adherence to it, you think it brings you freedom, but it doesn't. It actually enslaves you, it brings death, it's Hagar, it's Ishmael. However, new covenant, faith of and faith in Christ brings freedom, it brings life. It's, those are the children of Sarah, those are the children of the blessing. So that's Galatians 4 in a nutshell. You're welcome. (laughs) What does this have to do with us? You might be asking. That's that's a fair question to the preacher. And I want to suggest it has everything to do with us, especially this church. I have one question for you this morning, and I hope that this makes sense. What happens when something that was good and bore fruit no longer serves you? and no longer bears fruit. What happens when something was good 
and it bore fruit in your life. It was edifying. It built you up. It gave you what you needed. It fed you. It nurtured you. It, it, it made you, uh, it nourished you. And then that thing, or that group of things, no longer bears fruit and no longer brings life. That's essentially what Paul is saying. The law was good. It was for a time and it served a purpose and it was beautiful and we should celebrate it and thank God for it. But there came a moment when that shifted and something new was being offered. The Spirit of God was doing something new and inviting them to step into something new that didn't deny the, resist, the existence of what was before, but, but asked them to move beyond it. What happens when something was good and beautiful and bore fruit in your life no longer produces the same results? What do you do? Now, as a pastor, one of the pastors of this church, for as long as I have been, I have a sneaky suspicion that that might ring true for some of you in the room this morning. I have a sneaky suspicion that there are people in your life praying for you because you're here at this church. <laughs> You've told me that, many of you, like relatives who are concerned because it appears that you've left something behind that was good and that bore fruit because it seems to, seems to no longer be producing fruit, right? Am I tracking? Is the preacher speaking? And I want to just stop for a second this morning as a spiritual guide for you in this season of your life. You're going to be okay you're going to be okay. This is normal and natural in the spiritual journey. Where there are seasons where something is good and beautiful and right and it nourishes and it brings life. And then, guess what? God keeps moving. It's a pillar of cloud and fire by day. It moves and what does Israel have to do in the story? They have to pack up their tents, they have to put it all away, and they have to follow, and then they have to set it up again. And then for a while, for a season, for a time, God is there, and it's good, and they worship, and then all of a sudden, the cloud moves, and the pillar moves. But if they stay there, guess what they miss? All that God is doing, and all that God is inviting them to. So friends, fear not, do not be scared, do not be afraid. You are not losing your mind, you're not going crazy, you're not losing your faith. I would suggest that you're, you're stepping out in faith, courageously following the spirit of Christ, which is alive and at work in the world. Do you want a dead, not, uh, not dead, do you want a two-dimensional, like, like static, written word, or do you want a resurrected spirit of Christ, alive and active? Which would you like? This is good, and it's beautiful, and it continues to be good and beautiful for the people of God gathered. Yes and amen. And guess what? God's spirit is just at work and moving and alive in the world and keeps inviting you and I, the church, to respond to it. So I want to suggest that there are moments in our lives when we have an option and, and, there, and seasons when we have a choice where we can either hang on with fear and intrepidation with clinched fists, the systems and the theologies and, and like, that we have been given or that were passed on to us, and we can like, clench them and not let them go. And what we, what we do is we freeze the text, we freeze the divine, we, 
And that's, that's just not what God is. When God reveals God's self to Moses, guess what God says? I am that I am. I will be what I will be. It's a verb. It's an action. It's moving. It's a t- it, it cannot be frozen. Nor can you. You cannot step in the same river twice. Now that's a scary proposition. I get it. I ran this by Laura last night and I'm like, am I hearing what I want to hear? I don't think I am. I think this is true. I think this is right in the spiritual life. I'm not crazy. You can't step in the same river twice, friends. And as much as we would like to freeze the text and freeze our friends and freeze the moments where God is good, God just keeps moving. And so I want to just say, as one of your pastors, everybody take a deep breath. We'll get to this next week. But we have a means by which we can discern if God is present and in something. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. Roses don't grow on apple trees. So if you want to know, is God in this? Is there life here? We, we, we're, not, we're not wandering. We are not adrift in the sea. Okay? But we're sailing. We're not at bay. We're not in the harbor, and the anchor is not dropped, friends. We are out on the open water. The wind is in our face. Let's do this, right? That's exciting to me. It's terrifying, too, but you know you're alive. Right? You can hear your heart beat in your ears. That's when it's getting good. So I want to just invite you as the church to continue to move, to press into, to listen. This is why it's so important that we, that we learn how to listen and hear and that we do it in community, right? The Spirit of God says that it's the Spirit of truth. It's light. It only leads to truth and only leads to light. So we have nothing to fear so long as we're after that. I don't know if Paul, I think Paul would have said, yeah, Micah, you got it. You know what I'm talking about. So that's my rendition of Galatians 4. Sarah and Hagar, Ishmael and Isaac, heirs and sons, slaves and free people. And I want to invite you to be free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Amen? Amen. Amen. Pray with me if you would. God, this morning, as we uh, just take a a moment or two to think about uh, the gravity of um, this word, that you have, it is for freedom that you have set us free. Not that we would drop an anchor in the harbor and never sail again, but that we would be out on the open water, feeling the wind in our face, and the role of the waves. So God, as, as a church, as individuals, as people who are seeking after what's true and what's life-giving, would you just, even in this moment, speak a word of, of encouragement, speak a word of wisdom, speak a word of hope, maybe even conviction, that it's this way, not that way. We're open to that too. So, so Holy Spirit, speak to us, challenge us, invite us, mold us and shape us into the kinds of people that you want us to be, I pray. To the church gathered in St. Paul, my friends, my brothers and sisters, one of my great joys in my adult life, um, as I have walked this road of being a pastor for a while, is um, being able to be a part of this journey and this process with you, um, to remind you that you're going to be okay. We don't worship a two-dimensional text. 
We worship a resurrected Christ who is alive and at work in the world, who reveals himself in and through this, yes, but this is not our idol. It's Christ, alive, resurrected, at work, leading, guiding, inviting us to love, to sacrifice ourselves at, co at, at cost at times, and to be made whole, to offer hope and healing and grace and mercy, compassion, justice to the world. So, everybody take a deep breath and receive the blessing of God, the spirit of God, the hope of God today and be sent back out into the world to love and give yourself away in the name of Christ. The energy that holds it all together that's been there from the beginning and will be here long after you're gone. The Christ that was made known in Jesus. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And the church said together, amen, friends. Grace and peace. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.